How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 114 of X Lapsed. And uh, I'm tired. I'm very, very tired today. But uh, we got books to talk about, or a book to talk about. So we uh, we probably ought to do the thing, huh? Let's do the thing. We are talking about X Force, volume 6, number 13. That's had a December 2020 cover date. The story is called X of Swords, chapter 04. Written by Benjamin Percy, with art by Victor Bogdanovic. Colors Matthew Wilson, letters VCs Joe Caramagna, designs Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman, edits Basso White Sobolski, not Bisa, Basso, and cover price $3.99. This one went on sale October 7th of 2020. So we're, uh, we're sticking with the uh, Percy corner of the X universe for this, so I guess it'll be a straight continuation from last chapter's Wolverine issue, which, hey, you know, that's not a bad thing because, uh, I think this would look very, very PC had it not gone this way, but is it a good thing overall? Well, we're about to find out. Now, we open with a quote page, courtesy of the Silver Samurai, because, uh, I mean, let's be honest, who wouldn't want to hear a few words out of this guy, right? Certainly, there are, there are worse people to waste an entire page on, aren't there? Maybe not. The comic content begins in Tokyo, a little while ago. If you remember, we are jumping between two points in time here. Here, Wolverine is looking for the Muramasa, and after checking in with all of the friends and enemies he's known in Japan, he's guided toward that castle. We saw that all last chapter, which really makes this feel like a worst-of-both-world situation, right? This issue is both decompressed and full of recaps. You know, I, I figure when we became too cool for recaps and went straight to de- decompression, I didn't think we'd get both. But here we are, we're getting both. This must read so strange in the collected edition. I couldn't imagine, because just a couple pages ago you were seeing this. It's weird. Anyway, suddenly Logan is attacked by the hand. Get a double-page spread of creds, followed by our roll call. We're going to be focusing on Wolverine, Solemn, and Muramasa. Now, Wolverine fights the hand, and he's shocked to see that they're not quite what they seem. He slices one of their masks off, which reveals nothing more than a skull with glowing eye holes. Now, Wolverine wonders what Muramasa must have gotten himself into. Then, we get a bit of narration from Muramasa, easy for me to say, the man himself. Now, he agreed to build an arsenal for the Hand under threat. You see, the Hand claimed they would destroy his village if he declined, and so, what's a guy to do? Wolverine is then run through by a blade, falls through a portal to hell, and plops into that pool of lava we found him in last issue. Really, such a weird use of this, like, now-and-then device. It really doesn't work for me here. Um, 
it almost seems like they realized that this really isn't all that interesting a beat in this story, and decided to employ the time jump gimmick as a way to make it, like, feel more interesting than it actually was. It didn't work. It didn't work at all. Anyway, Wolverine drops into the lava, and we've already seen this. He drags himself out, and we already saw this, and again, we already saw this, too. He's at the foot of Muramasa, the swordsman working at the forge. Now, Muramasa claims that the intense heat of hell makes for the greatest forge in the universe, capable of crafting the keenest blades imaginable. And so he clings and clangs on the blade with haste, because he has a pressing engagement to attend, and it is a ceremony. Now, we're just going to assume that Wolverine, or his skeleton at least, just passes out here. Because we jump ahead in time to later, where he's laid out in a hellhole cell. He's being looked over by that charming weirdo we met last issue, Solemn. Now, he wants to watch Wolverine's healing process. And also bathe us in exposition. Now, he's been tasked with finding the Muramasa, yes? Well, then, to paraphrase our intro... How did he get here? Well, he was given the nudge to hell by an oracle of Arako. He exchanged the severed head of the oracle's traitorous sister for the deets. Now, he was told that the blade is in hell, and also that the sword he currently wields, the appropriately named Hellblade, can serve as a key to hell. Well, it doesn't get a whole lot more convenient than that, does it? Uh, he, he's got a couple of options here. He can either kill himself with the blade and wind up in hell, or he can just use it as a key and like actually kind of just open his way to hell. So, bada-bing, dude's in hell. And he's going to use Logan as his guide to the blade. By now, Wolverine is fully regenerated, and he's all, you know, F this. And he tries to cut himself out of the cell, only to learn that not even adamantium can slice through bars that are forged in hellfire. He then swipes at Solemn, and, well, it's not terribly effective either. You see, Solemn is somehow coated with adamantium himself. Maybe this stuff grows on trees in Arako. I don't know. Solemn offers Wolverine the keys to the cell, and we're off to the races here. They're going to go together. First, an info page all about the Everforge. Now, it's ruled by the Furies, who I'm going to assume are those horribly scary beasts from the old Alan and Alan Captain Britain stories. We rejoin our fellas at the Hellforge, and they talk a lot of spoo that really doesn't mean a whole lot to me. Then, bells can be heard ringing far away. Solemn suggests that the ceremony Muramasa rushed off to might just be a wedding. And indeed it is. Two figures stand before a very portly demon. Now, the demonic sack of flesh calls for the presentation of swords, which draws our focus to Muramasa, who presents... Not one, but two blades. Well, that's mighty convenient, isn't it? Uh, the rest of the story pretty much writes itself from here, doesn't it? Now, he hands over the blades to the couple, and then presents himself to be run through by both of them. Well, I guess it would seem the street value of those swords just went up exponentially. Solemn hurls his hell blade, and it sinks itself right into the groom's face. This naturally leads to a fight which wraps up with Solemn in possession of both Muramasa's swords. Wolverine asks for one of them, but Solemn ain't just about to hand it over, and Wolverine asks what Solemn might want for the blade. We go to an info page, and it's everything you really never cared to know about the Muramasa, so take it or leave it. 
Back to comics, and we are in our wrap-up. Wolverine emerges back on Krakoa right at the X of Swords action figure display playset with the Muramasa Blade. Now, we don't know what sort of deal he struck with Solemn, but I assume we will before long. The issue concludes with our second champion stood upon the sigils. So now we've got Magic and Wolverine. Next episode, it looks like we're headed to Wakanda in Marauders number 13, and if uh, the cover is to be believed, Wolverine will be there too. So I guess he doesn't actually just have to like stand on the sigil forever. You know, who knows? Maybe these are being told out of order. I, I wouldn't even hazard a guess. But that, my friends, is... X-Force, volume, whatever it is, number 13, where I gotta say, at least we did feature a member of X-Force, right? Yeah, there you go. Um, Let's talk about this, let's talk about this, because there's not a whole heck of a lot to say here, because, you know, chapters 3 and 4 certainly didn't need quite as many pages as they wound up getting. This could have easily, very easily been done in a single issue of Wolverine, Right? I mean, X-Factor number 4 was chapter 2 of this event, and it was a $5 oversized issue. We, we couldn't have done the same thing for Wolverine number 6, right? We, we, we probably could have. Of course, then we'd only have a 21-part crossover event, and how could anybody take that seriously? Uh, the back-and-forth jumps we've had here between Tokyo and Hell, uh, like I said during the synopsis, they weren't necessary. And there's really no reason I can think of why this couldn't have been told in a more linear fashion. Though, if they were to do that, it might have shed too bright a light on what a vanilla, boring story this beat was. Really not a whole heck of a lot to talk about here. You know, Wolverine gets his sword. So does Solemn. Wolverine owes Solemn a favor, and we can probably assume that they're going to be facing off at some point during the second half of this event. I mean, not for nothing, I guess we are putting pieces into place, but I don't know that these bits require quite this amount of pages, right? But at least the pages were pretty. I'll give it that. Now, Victor Bogdanovic, uh, we know him as the the not-Cubert guy on Wolverine. Really, really good artist. I, I really enjoy his work here. It does remind me a lot of, uh, of like, the New 52. <laughs> it really, really does, but... Uh, but I won't hold that against him here. So good art, kind of a eh story, a necessary story, but not a terribly interesting one, unfortunately. I guess uh, we had to get here, and uh, we did. So that was X-Force number 13. Let's hop into the mailbag before we cut out of here, and uh, we're going to start with Damien, who's talking about X-Factor number 3. He says, yet another comic that I enjoyed more than you. My tolerance for Mojo world, Mojoverse stuff is obviously higher than you. I did get exposed to a lot of it in my youth. I'm really enjoying the way that Leia Williams is focusing on characters. She's managed to convince me to hate Dakin, and just when I think he's the worst character, she makes him charming. I know I'm being played by her, but I'm enjoying being played. Very good point. Very good point here. Dakin, Dakin uh, was... Really, I don't want to say he was a low point of the first couple of issues because, uh, well, to me, there were a lot to choose from <laughs> as far as low points are concerned for those first couple of issues. Well, the second issue. The first issue I enjoyed. I'm not going to lie. But uh, Dakin Dakin was uh, kind of a... He felt like a baby character, kind of like a stereotype through a funhouse mirror, like 
Like, they know that there are going to be certain readers out there who will only see him in a certain way, and they're really, really playing that up here. I don't know why they're doing it, but it's the, the feeling I'm getting here. And then maybe it is just to 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 put that all out there and then subvert ex- expectations here by actually making him a fun character to follow. I, I, really, I really don't know, but I, I do... Now, semi enjoy seeing him on on panel, so that's a that's a good thing. That's a net positive. Damien continues. I'm glad you're coming around to David Baldion's work. He really excited and he really excelled in this issue. There are so many artists who would struggle to communicate the fact that Shatterstar was lying convincingly, and he also dealt with, so well with the scene of Aurora and Dakin Dakin. There really is a phenomenal group of artists on the X books at the moment. And yes, I am definitely coming around to Baldion's work here. It was a little, a little hard at first, but uh, I, I, I can't, I can't say that he doesn't fit the tone of the book. He's definitely a really good fit, and I'm actually enjoying him. So that's a, uh, that's definitely another net positive here. So, uh, Damien wraps up with, anyways, until amazing fa- baby eats mojo, <laughs> make my next lap. Well, thank you so much for uh, sharing your thoughts on X Factor number three. I do wonder what uh, what X Factor is going to be like once we get out the other side of the event here. I wonder. I mean, we're gonna have to go back to Mojo World at some point to get Shatterstar. So I wonder how it's gonna be. I wonder how it's gonna be. I I suppose we'll worry about that, or I'll worry about that another day. But thanks again for uh, for writing in. Uh, next up, Evan Bevan's talk in Hellions number four. Now, Evan says, I didn't read the Madeline Pryor stories when they originally came out, and I don't remember how much I picked up through in the essentials, but to me, she's always been one of the most mistreated characters in comics history. She was brought to life as a pawn, married her husband because, let's face it, she looked like his long-lost love, and then cast aside when that love returned to the land of the living. And though I'm, again, no expert on her, it seems like that story has never been fully retconned or explained away. Long before Cyclops lost it in the Bendis era, he was the guy who ditched his wife for literally a better model. Maybe that's an oversimplification. In many ways, Madeline is an inconvenient character, and when she came back in X-Men Blue and I saw her pop up in Hellions number 1, I thought, why? The answer in this case was because Zeb Wells crafted a story that used all that inconvenience in a way that wasn't heavy-handed meta, but served the story well. And maybe Mystique will find a kindred spirit in Havoc when it comes time to burn Krakoa to the ground. And you guys know me, I could talk about that Madeline Pryor uh, beat in Hellions a lot. (laughs) And in fact, I have. It's just, it never stops being true, though. Um, Definitely one of the most mistreated characters who came in, uh, I mean, she came in with a purpose, but that purpose was changed when uh, when editorial made some changes here. It was, like you said here, it's never been fully explained away, and it's hard. I mean, they had to make her the worst of all things to make Cyclops not look like the worst of all things, because... I mean, let's face it, at the end of X-Factor number one, he's ditched his family, his wife and son, to go back to a woman who he'd lost, who we don't even know what her feelings are towards him at this point, but the fact that he'd rather be with her than his own wife and, and son doesn't really shine the best light on Cyclops. I do wonder how soon, I mean, we talked 
about the original plans, right, for Madeline, and it would just be Scott's happily ever after, and he's gonna, you know, go off into the sunset and maybe, maybe show up every now and again, or maybe rejoin the team somewhere down the line. But he was basically retired, right? Him and Madeline were just gonna be away. Then X Factor, the the, the X Factor pitch comes through, and we're gonna bring Gene back. And I gotta wonder, like, what were the initial plans? Like, were there were there any plans to work this out right from the moment they decided Gene's going to come back? Was that something they put a pin in? It's like, okay, well, we need to take care of this inconvenience eventually. And I wonder how we got from point A to point B, where she's just the doting wife to she's the Goblin Queen. You know, I wonder when that was decided on. I wonder if there were any other possible outcomes for her. Because, uh, I mean, it seems like she got the worst of the worst here with her, uh, with her outcome. Now, I don't remember her coming back in X-Men Blue. I'd missed out on all that, so uh, maybe you can let me know how that went, uh, what her role was there. I want to say that I saw her at some point as part of a sisterhood of evil mutants, unless I dreamt that. I'm, I'm getting more and more convinced that I dreamt that whole that whole angle, but uh, <laughs> I suppose someone with a better memory could let me know. But here, this was a, this was a great little story here, and... You know, it might stand to reason that, uh, you know, Havoc is, uh, he's playing a role now. I'm still not 100% convinced that he is actually just another member of this Hellions team here. Part of me still thinks it's going to be revealed that he's a mole of some sort, just to keep an eye on some other inconvenient characters. But uh, here we have him wanting resurrection for Madeline and uh, being told no. Being told no by the Quiet Council, being told no by his brother. We don't know which way. I mean, Scott says he fought for her, but who's to say whether or not he did? I mean, we didn't get to see that. It's Like I said before, it's probably for the best that we didn't get to see that. So we have Mystique wanting uh, Destiny to come be resurrected and being told no. And Havoc wanting Madeline to be resurrected and being told no. So strange bedfellows, right? Now, uh, Evan continues... Mystique, Havoc, maybe a resurrected one too many times Quentin Choir. What if the biggest threats to Krakoa and this new era come from within? Now, that's certainly a way that this could go. I mean, we've talked about, uh, I think we've talked about comparing this to, like, the Roman Empire and stuff and how the uh, Krakoans are, they're, like, overly decadent, right? We talk about all the drinking. We talk about all the partying. We talk about, I mean, Wolverine's called them out on letting, called them out on letting their guards down and then fell prey to that himself. So there is definitely a chance that this is all going to just be a you know a house of cards sort of situation where, I mean, where are the threats outside? We've joked about the threats outside, right? We saw, I believe it was, it was either in Exosword's creation or in X-Factor where Nightcrawler is naming their new villains and they're just like the worst. It's like the flower cartel in Xeno <laughs> It's like, and, uh, the, you know, Orcus. It's like the most boring villains in the world here. And uh, so, I mean, what is the threat? Because none of those can touch the X-Men. Uh, with the resurrection protocols and the united front between heroes and villains here, what the hell could Orcus do? What could the Flower Cartel do? They can, sure, they can be a nuisance. They could be dangerous, but... I don't see them getting to a point where they're just going to take everything down. Really, the only way this can all fall down, unless we're headed for a giant retcon, is a 
a schism in the uh, in the X-Men family here. And I think that the ones that feel like they're being played by the Quiet Council, the ones that feel like they're being neglected or uh, uh, disrespected, I think they're going to be the ones leading the charge. And uh, we already know Mystique was told, hey, if they don't bring me back, it's left to you to burn the whole place down. So we know that it's, it's in the forefront of her mind here. And uh, while Mystique can work alone, uh, maybe she doesn't need to, right? Very, very interesting theory. Now, Evan wraps up with, I'm imagining some sort of alliance, repurposing an X name or theme that hasn't been recycled yet. Maybe Nightcrawler realizes those cracks in the foundation can't be repaired and have to be broken wide open instead. Or maybe I'm just too fascinated with my own wild theories. No, I, you know, I don't think you are. I don't think you are because this is... Uh, um, these theories are founded in reason here. We have patterns of behavior in these Dawn of X books where we are seeing things... Uh, you know... We talk about um, writing with purpose and with conviction here and not making too many mistakes here. And while not everything Hickman's doing is to my liking, and not everything he's doing is something I want to see go on forever, I can't deny that what he's doing, I think everything is, is either serving a purpose or is going to serve a purpose, right? We've talked about bits and pieces, little hints Things that look like they're going nowhere. I mean, we have, you know, X-23 and those guys in the vault right now. Why? Why? I, I'm, I'm 100% sure that it's going to come back around. I know we're going to get an answer to it, but it's... I feel like everything has a purpose here. So these things that we're seeing here, the things that we're allowed to see, Mystique talking to Destiny in her flashback, Havoc reacting the way he did to Madeline not coming back, these are things that are definitely with a purpose, right? Nightcrawler wanting to start his own rea- his own religion, talking about being a member of the Quiet Council and seeing that there are already cracks. All the questions about the resurrection protocols, all the theories about Krakoan uh, intervention and uh, mind control. So many things that are here, and I'm sure we're going to hear a lot more about them as we go on here. So. I don't think you're, I don't think you're being too uh, pleased with your own theories. I think this is very, very valid stuff. A lot of the stuff that we're saying here, completely stands to reason, is coming to pass. And uh, I mean, that's a good place for us to be in, isn't it? Like I said, uh, despite not really loving everything, we're asking questions. We're asking questions, and we we're invested in the answers. And you know, for the first time in many, many, many years. I mean, I'm chomping at the bit to find out what happens next. It's a, it's a good place to be in. It's a good place to be in. So that is going to do it for our mailbag today. I want to thank everybody for taking part. If anyone out there would like to join in the conversation, please, please feel free to do so. You could find me on Twitter, at Ace Comics, or you can send me an email to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfiniteearth.com, which just started its sixth year as a blog just today. So there's that. Uh, there's also xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearth.com if all you want to see is the X-Men stuff. You can talk to us on Facebook. Our little group is called the 90s X-Men. And you can listen to all the Chris and Reggie audio archives at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. 
Well, that'll do it for today. I think we're, what, two-elevenths of the way through this story now? Yeah, uh, my math ain't the greatest, but I think we're two-elevenths of the way through. So that's a good thing. We're making headway. We're uh, just pushing our way through. <laughs> and I want to thank you all so, so much for being a part of it and for sharing your time with me on this fine day. And till next time, as always, I'll talk to you all again real soon. See ya. <laughs>